D&D 5e Character Lab Podcast with your hosts, Karen and Dan. And welcome to the D&D Character Lab, the show based around the one thing we as players cannot resist. And that is compulsively creating characters and daydreaming about their validity in-game. Each week, we are bringing a new character to the table, drawing from a plethora of published content, and scoring it against a predefined table of criteria. It is then up to us to use our own personal charisma modifiers to convince the other that our baby is better. Hello again, I'm Garen. And I'm Dan, and this week we've combed through the vast offerings of DMsGuild.com, the largest third-party and community marketplace for our D&D content for all editions. And there are a lot of great supplements on there, and there is a great community of people that are willing to provide input on the submissions, reviews, check it out. We have each decided on some supplements from there to use in our character builds this week at level 12. Yeah, so we have some beefy babies again this week. But without further ado, I'm going to get us started off by introducing you to my character this week, Borod. Borat? Borod. Although my Midwestern accent will no doubt at some point call him Borad, which (laughs) will make this good and confusing. Borod is a furbolg that was born in the wild, obviously. Uh, His parents rarely spoke to him, however, but they did protect him alongside other members of the furbolg community in the wilderness. Borod interpreted this lack of communication not as a lack of love, but as a debilitation as he started to grow older. He noticed that his parents could only speak slightly above a whisper and that their speech appeared difficult and somewhat painful. However, they had an intense sixth sensibility to sense danger and be two steps of two steps ahead of it. Borod woke early one morning as a, as a young furbolg to a note written by his father stating simply, "Take this. You will need it in your life's journey. We must look after ourselves now as we are merely a hindrance to your safety. Pray, my boy." The note was accompanied by a cane that appeared to glow. Confused and desperate, Borod spent an entire day looking for his parents. Strangely enough, despite having an impeccable memory for where he is in the wild, Borod searched and searched so intently that he got lost in the wild and fell asleep near a creek. That evening, he woke from a dead sleep with a splitting headache so intense that he thought his head was about to explode. The pain lasted only a minute or two, but when it subsided, Borod could no longer walk. He tried and he tried and he could not move his legs. He sobbed and then remembered the note from his father. He prayed. He didn't know who he was praying to, but just for any guidance or... Or, or any ability to, to move from where he were. But nothing happened. He just had a strong sense that everything was going to be okay. He even had visions of a crippled furbolg fighting for the forces of good who had walked with a cane. He took the cane that his father had next to the note, and he was able to slowly get to his feet and get around and vowed to fulfill what he saw in the vision to fight for the forces of good. I'm introducing you to... Borod, the Furbolg, level 12, Cleric of the Prophecy Domain from Elminster's Guide to Divination. I have him as the Outlander background. Wow, so this Furbolg saw his own downfall in, in the loss of his legs, but he got him back a little bit. I'm a little... He didn't lose his legs, he just can't walk. Right, So, but he, he has, has a cane. cane. He has his cane, and now he can walk with it. Oh, the cane is a magic cane that allows him to walk. That's correct. We're going to get into that uh, as we move through our categories. I'll, I'll go through exactly why he has this disability and whatnot. Okay, but without the cane, no walking. And we don't know why he can't walk. Bingo. You're really slow playing this. I don't know whether to love it or hate it. I, you know what? I'm going to err on the side of love it because it is very unique. So good on you on that. It is my turn. I would like to... I got a B right here for you too. I want to introduce you to Beltora, a name given to me by our new Patreon supporter, Jome Gemstone, which is fun to say also. Uh, Beltora comes from a small fishing village 
that lives along the coast. And while he was small and his body was kind of frail, he was very nimble with the rod and the reel and able to navigate the coast and find the fish where, where other members of his community thought there were no fish. And he would bring them on land day after day, coming back into the village with huge pike and walleye draped over his back. He actually became very renowned in his village for his ability wait, to fish. Wait, wait, wait. Somebody who was able to create fish where there were no fish. I think I read a book about this once. Yeah, what was the book called? The Bible. <laughs> no, no, he's finding fish where there right, are no okay. fish. Well, tomato, tomato. <laughs> and he already knows how to fish, so he will feed himself for the rest of his life. And Beltora, not wanting to leave his family as he loved them so much, he couldn't resist the urge to find greater and deeper fish and also the mysteries of the ocean. So his journey became one of solitude to go out there and try and track the people that lived beneath the ocean. He'd only heard rumors of them. And so Beltora travels the world, pulling in sweet fish on his line and tracking merfolk. No way, he's good with the fishes. How is he with the bishes? <laughs> he's really good with the bishes. It's funny that you should mention that because Beltora, part of his strength and part of his stature to be able to pull in the fish helps that he is a canator which is centaur canine. He is made to look like a Shiba Inu, which are the red leaf subrace of Canatars. This is a supplement written by Matthew Gravelin. We had his work on the show before when I made a bear PC, but Matthew has put together an entire book of races of these Canatars, included with beautiful art from this artist that he found. And so you got the four legs and the dog's body coming off the top. And so the Bishes love him. And he is using the angler subclass of a ranger which is written by stephen wood which is another beautiful supplement stephen did his own art for this which is insane i'm gonna say this again before the end of the show but this guy put this up there for pay what you want and it includes tons of content and his own original art this guy's very talented so level 12 angler ranger with a background in cryptozoology which i found thank you to DD beyond so you made a little dog faced boy that's sweet yeah, He's all dog, dog and maybe kind of horse. Let's see how that goes. Now, Dan, before you start dogging me any further on this, I'm going to light a sanctuary candle from Cantrip Candles. That'll protect me from your hateful rays. Cantrip Candles are 100% soy candles that are specifically designed to accompany your tabletop adventures in D&D and Pathfinder. They have a great selection of scents that smell like different locations in a fantasy world, chapels, forests, even sweaty, damp taverns spilling with booze. The candle we just lit, Sanctuary, offers notes of ginger, incense, and saffron. I can see your cleric kneeling before the altar. But to be honest, you can find any scent for your adventure settings in their sampler pack. The sampler packs give you all the scents for just $11 plus shipping. Once you decide you want to buy every single one of them, be sure to splurge on their newly offered 16-ounce candle size because they all come with a metal D20 and you don't even have to expend a spell slot. Be sure to check them out. That's Cantrip Candles. And if you don't know how to spell Cantrip, you shouldn't be playing D&D. And I do want to mention real quick that we, we have had some people shout out on Twitter that they've listened to our commercial, heard us talk about Cantrip Candles, and went on and bought them. We love hearing that because we love Cantrip Candles. We love working with these guys. And thank you again to them for working with us on the Character Lab. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Garen and Cantrip Candles, for that message. I will go ahead and start us off in the melee category for today's episode. Uh, I'm going to argue a negative one here. I have a plus four to hit with my Yukilwa, and uh, it does 1d8 piercing damage, no modifier. That is worthy of a minus one because it's better than nothing. It is absolutely better than nothing. I have nothing to say with that. Yeah, great shout out on the Yukilwa. 
that is something that we've actually encountered in Tomb of Annihilation that we're actually playing in our, our home game. That's a fun little trinket you added there. So I'll give you the minus one for that. I would have given you a zero for the kill well, but you didn't want it, so you don't get it. <laughs> what do you got for melee? Melee, I am arguing a plus one. A Beltora, ranger? What, you think that's too much? Well, let's see. Beltora is using a rapier, which is a dex modifier, of course. He has a plus 10 to hit because I have the dueling fighting style with two attacks, 1d6 plus 4 damage per attack, and I'm also going to be using one of my ranger features. This is a feature that I get at level 3 with the angler background. It's called medium tackle. I deal an extra 1d6 damage when I'm attacking a creature larger or smaller than myself. Now, I'm a medium creature, you know, that rules out a lot of the base there, but that is still something a little extra special that I think pushes me up into a 1. Boy, yeah, I mean, you're pretty damn impressive for a ranger. I'm not going to argue your plus 1 because you're starting out strong, and you gave me my minus 1 very charitably. So <laughs> let's move on to ranged, Mr. Dog Boy Ranger. What do you have there? This one, of course, is a plus 2. I got the longbow with the two attacks. That's a plus eight to hit, 1d8 plus four. And I've got my fishing pole, which has over 80 yards of line. And let me tell you a little bit about my fishing pole really quick because Stephen Wood has given you fishing poles, lines, and lures, all for you to customize yourself. I am using the Twitching Beetle fishing pole, which has plus two to attack rolls when I'm attempting to present the lure to my prey. I got the Dwarven Copper line, extra thick. It's got an AC of 15 and 80 hit points to try and break this thing. And I got the Goblin Perch lure on the end. Really hooks in. Creatures have a minus two when they're attempting to sh shake off the hook. Now, some of this might sound a little foreign because Steven, this madman, has given you all these rules for learning how to fish in-game. Now, of course, this doesn't directly apply to fighting like a Any, owl bear. No, yeah. but come on, you gotta give it to me. This is really Not for cool range. extra stuff. I'd like to just backtrack a little bit here. You have two attacks, you have a plus eight to hit, and you have one D eight plus four damage per attack. Yeah, that's a longbow attack. What's weird about that? Correct. So you're doing 24 potential range damage per round. Yes. Yeah, sorry buddy, that ain't gonna do it. No, you are not getting a plus two here. You, you gotta give it to me for the fishing rod because this is part of my background. This is part Good, of who I am. Great, you can fish. That's cool. I, I hook them in their mouth. I drag them over to me. That's a ranged attack. Give me a scenario. We've got, an, we've got an orc army, right? Five in the front, four in the back. They're just charging in, but as a unified front. Okay. How are you going to go ahead and take care of them in a ranged combat, combat style before we get into the melee combat? Okay, so they're, I'll wait till they're about 60 feet away. I am going to roll to attack one of the guys in the back. With my fishing rod, I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and hook it into his big fat orc cheek. Here we go. Here's I my roll. It. Go ahead. So that would be a 18 to hit. Okay, but I got an orc. I rolled a 16. That's a 20. He just grabs that that fishing line, tears his guy's cheek open, wide open, and just throws it on the ground. You didn't even let me roll a strength check to try and pull him in. I was just rolling to attack. Okay. All right. Well, I got a modified 16, so you go right to hell. You've got a fishing line that basically you got a fishing rod in your hand and fishing line on the ground. What are you going to do now? Oh, you're going to use your move action to draw your longbow, and then you're going to pop off two longbow shots. There are still nine orcs charging at you. Plus you're one, friend. You're dismissing my entire class here. Because it's not this. good. It's not good enough for an army of orcs or an army of enemies against you. A fishing line is great to draw in one dude, but... It's not like nobody's going to see what you're doing. 
but no one's going to expect you to use a fishing pole on the battlefield. Element hey, of surprise. That's good on you, but uh, you're going to take a plus one there. Not backing down off that. Now Get for range, personal. I'm arguing a minus two. I've oh. got no ranged weapon. Coming down so hard on you. <laughs> no, no, here. But we're moving into burninating that magic damage. As part of the prophecy domain, I have potent spell casting, which at eighth level allows all spells to add the wisdom modifier to the damage rolls, which is four. I also have sacred flame cantrip, which is 3d8, toll the dead, 3d8, that's a cantrip, word of radiance. Cantrip affects everyone that I can see that I choose to make a con save or they take 3d6 radiant damage, life transference, guardian of faith, and holy weapon. That's an easy plus two. I mean, sure. All right. And Whatever. so what do you what do you got? I have got Hunter's Mark, which allows me to do extra damage. Conjure Barrage, which I believe is 3d8 for everybody in a 60-foot cone, which is really nice. So I'm arguing a zero. Did you just say three things and, and expect me to give you a zero? Yes. We're level 12. Yeah, well, I'm holding back on some of my spells. I'm not blowing it all on my on my burninating. I think this is very easily a zero. Roll for the zero. I gave you a minus one, and you had one stupid weapon you couldn't even use, by the way. All right. I have a charisma of 13. The DC is a 10, so I need to roll a nine or better. I rolled a four. Yeah, <laughs> take your minus one. Get out. How controlling right. are you? Here's my control. You're going to like this. Battle Dancer, which is a feature of my race. I can use dodge as a free action once per long rest because the red leaf sub race of the Kenatars is very much based on uh, like a samurai type of people. I have got flashy presentation, which is the seventh level feature of my angler. As a bonus action, I can distract any opponent within 10 feet. They must make a DC 12 plus my dex, which is... 18, so a DC 16 wisdom save, or their attacks are made with disadvantage for one round. Everyone that you're facing? Within 10 feet. It's not huge. All right. So I get in the middle of those orcs, as you mentioned, was like nine orcs, and I do a little twirl Well, see, this is, this, is a, this is a little cheap, because if you get in the middle of those orcs, how many HP do you have? We're going to get into that in tankiness, but I don't think you would. Dude, this was your scenario, and all I'm saying is that I'm going to give them disadvantage on their attacks, which I think would give me a little bit of confidence. Sure. That's a DC 16 wisdom save on an orc. I like it. Okay, but I'm not done. I got a little bit more that I think you're also going to actually enjoy. Let me tell you about Cordon of Arrows. It's is the spell that I found a ranger spell. I haven't heard of this before and I freaking love it. So what I do is I put four arrows on the ground and I put them within range and I lay magic on top of them to protect the area. Now until the spell ends, whenever a creature other than me comes within 30 feet of the ammunition for the first time, uh, one of the pieces of ammunition flies up off the ground and sh shoots at them just on its own. The creature must make a deck save or take 1d6 piercing damage. The ammunition is then destroyed. The spell ends when no ammunition remains. And when I cast this spell, I can designate any creatures I choose that the spell will not fire at. So I think that is a really fun type of control there where I'm kind of giving myself like mm. a barrier. Yeah. Really? It's all right. It's pretty cool. So what are you arguing for control? Ensnaring strike plus two. No, you're not going to get a plus two. Yes. No. I'm all right. I'm gonna tell you why. All right. I'm gonna argue a plus one, and I'm gonna list. I'm gonna list you to death. I'm taking a minus one penalty here because, as a prophecy domain cleric, I have to choose a flaw. So my flaw is partial paralysis. My lower limbs cannot move my body. I can't walk unless I have this some other means of movement, such as a mount. Blah blah blah. blah. I reflavored this as using a cane, and I gave myself a 20 foot movement speed. I, all other penalties would be intact. 
because all terrain is treated as difficult terrain. So I got the movement speed of 20 feet. I'm flavoring it with the cane. Anyways, I've also got detect magic, disguise self, the hidden self racial trait, which makes me invisible as a bonus action, speech of beast and leaf, divine intervention as a cleric. I also have embrace destiny, which is a spell out of Elminster's Guide to Divination. It basically allows me to look into the future, and when I cast this spell, I roll a d20, and I record the number that's rolled. For 10 minutes, I can replace any attack roll, saving throw, or ability check made by me or a creature that I can see or hear with, the, with that roll. I must choose to do so before the roll is made, and then once it's used, I can't do it again. Um, I also have Far Realm Gaze, which is a divination cantrip out of the same supplement. Until the end of my next turn, I know the location of any aberration within 60 feet that is not behind total cover. If I cast this spell again, when I've already cast it within the last minute, I must make a wisdom saving throw or take 2d6 psychic damage, which I like that flaw. The cane that I walk with is actually a magic item out of that supplement called the Cane of Detection. If you tap this walking cane on a wall, floor, door, it will cause any traps built into these objects to glow faintly for one minute. Upon detecting the trap, the cane expends a charge. It has three charges and regains 1d3 expended charges daily at dawn. I also have Lair Divination. It allows me to focus on a location that I know about on the same plane of existence, gaining insight to relative strength of creatures guarding the area and the amount of treasure stored there. I do not gain any knowledge regarding the number of creatures or the exact location of the treasure. However, the Dungeon Master can tell you the challenge rating of the strongest creature guarding the location and its type, but not the exact number. That is all I have for control, and I don't think I need anything else. I'm already in a plus one because I have that penalty, basically making it that I can't walk without this cane. And obviously, if somebody destroys that cane, I gotta crawl. Yeah, you'd be in a tough spot. I do want to mention that there are some really cool features of your divination spells there. When I made Son of Hammond, that character, which was actually a furbog divination wizard, I was a little bit underwhelmed with what my options were when it came to divination magic. Now, I was level six at the time, so I didn't have access to all the higher stuff, but I like the details that you were throwing out there about being able to find traps and, and know what's in rooms with treasure and stuff like that. So well, and it's, that it's is very cool. in line. It's very in line with the prophecy divination as well. I mean, uh, the, the prophecy domain. So I'm very pleased with this archetype. Absolutely. So you give me that plus one for that penalty. So that means we're both taking a plus one on this. I think you're worthy of a plus two, uh, plus one, but not a plus two that you're arguing. You want me to roll for my plus one? Yes. Okay, my charisma is 16. I rolled a 16. All right, so you, we both get a one on that. Now, I'm not imagining either one of us is going to do very well in this next category because I already know my character, but why don't you tell me if you are tanky at all? So I'm arguing a plus two in tankiness, I have an AC of 17 with my shield, 96 HP, but I also took the defensive duelist feat, which allows me when I am wielding a finesse weapon, which the Ukilwa is, with which I am proficient, which I am, and another creature hits me with a melee attack, I can use my reaction to add my proficiency bonus to my AC for that attack, potentially causing the attack to miss. So obviously, if I am utilizing my shield, I, I would add my proficiency bonus, which is plus four, making my... AC a 21. The nice part about this feat is there is no limit to how often you can use it. You can use it every single turn. Okay, but your HP is lower than mine, and my HP is actually lower than it should be, so I'm gonna argue that you are not going to get a I plus also two have, on this. I also have Glyph of Warding, which I added to this section as well. Glyph of Warding is cool 
and I appreciate that you are going for something different there. I'm putting it into the tankiness, but that is incredibly circumstantial because it's a lot like my cordon of arrows, where you have to be in one spot to have any protection from that. You can't just walk around in the world feeling so tougher thinking, because you have that. You're thinking my potential AC of 21 is not enough to grant me t plus two for this category? No, because I have 108 hit points and an AC of 15, and I was only going to argue with zero, so there's no way I'm going to give you a plus two on that. Because your AC is crap. AC of 15 is very respectable. What, what about else AC are you of 21? Get? Yeah, only when you take the Every chance. Every single I mean, time. Every no, 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 time. only when you're in combat. If you get the drop, if they get the drop on you, what do you mean only if I'm in combat? It says if another creature hits you with a melee attack, you can use your reaction to add your proficiency bonus to your AC for that attack, potentially causing the attack to miss. There's no limitation there. No, I still don't think that's worthy of a of a plus uh, two. A twenty-one? You don't have any cure spells, and you're a cleric. Okay, then I'll I'll take a plus one. And I'm a, I'm gonna take a zero. I'm not even gonna mess with it because I don't really have anything else to add to that. How do you help your friends? Man, you are really salty about that. Yeah, because it, that, that, that defensive duelist feat is great, and we've never featured it on this show before, and I don't know why. It's a great feat. That's what it feels like to get steamrolled. You know how I feel all the time. Well, that, that was a lot more serious than I meant it. <laughs> all right, before we get into how our babies can help their friends, I'd like to take a brief moment to explain how you, the listeners, can help the D&D Character Lab. A couple months ago, we launched our Patreon page, we're very excited to bring you extra content on the cheap. We have tiers starting at 1, moving all the way up to 20. We have a Discord that you can chat with us, which not even our loved ones want to do for free. And we have bonus episodes for $5 and up patrons. We also have early access to our regular show. And you can even name our characters, which Jome did this week. For details on all that, be sure to head over to patreon.com slash Lab. And I do want to mention that... If you do want to get into our Discord, we do have a community growing over there, which has been really fantastic. We've got to meet some people, and we are having our fan battles, where we are hopping on the Discord chat and listening to our Patreon supporters duking it out against each other. Right now, as of this recording, Ben Potts is the reigning champion in our Patreon, but Jome Gemstone is new. We'd also like to thank Matt Steinberg for becoming a Patreon supporter as well. Thank you to both of those guys. We're so happy to have you. Now, let me tell you a little bit about how my six-legged doggy horse fisherman can help his friends. Beltora has a non-detection spell, which is funny that this... I didn't pick this thinking about anything about your character because I know you mentioned what you were choosing a long time ago, but this is actually a spell that I can put on a willing target or an object up to 10 feet wide that would make it protected from any divination magic. This is a regular ranger spell, which I never thought we'd highlighted before, and I thought that was a lot of fun. I also have Healing Spirit. People walk onto it, and they get 1d6 healing for up to a minute. So it's kind of like stop over, get a little healing, get back into the fight. And the Natural Explorer, which is, of course, a feature of the ranger subclass, Difficult terrain doesn't slow my group at all. We can't get lost, and I remain alert even when foraging so no one can get the drop on us when we are on the coast or the swamp. Those are my two favorite places. I am arguing a plus one. Ooh. All right. I'm going to tell you you're a zero, and I'm going to tell you why you're a zero because I'm arguing a plus two. I have heal, regain 70 hit points, shield of faith, plus two to AC for 10 minutes, aid, HP total, and temp HP increased by five for eight hours. And then I have Enhance Ability, which allows me to grant Bear's Endurance, which allows me gives advantage on Constitution to checks, also regains 2d6 temporary hit points, Bull's Strength, which gives advantage on Strength checks, and Carrying Capacity doubles, Cat's Grace, 
advantage on dex checks, and it doesn't take damage from falling. Eagle Splendor, target has advantage on charisma checks. Fox's Cunning, advantage on intelligence. Owl's Wisdom, advantage on wisdom checks. I also have Create Food and Water, Life Transference, Prophecy Domain offers a feature of Cryptic Advice, which grants a reroll once per short or long rest. I have Embrace Destiny, which I mentioned before. I have Blessed Aim, which is a first-level divination spell out of Elminster's Guide to Divination. You choose a number of allies equal to your spellcasting modifier, which is a minimum of one. I have a spellcasting modifier is a plus eight. So for the duration, these allies make any ranged weapon attack and ranged spell attack rolls with advantage. Plus two. Far more impressive than what you're offering your friends. You're going to get a zero. I am taking a two. No Congratulations questions. on your third monster list of the episode. Oh, did you put the old goose egg under your name? Yes, yes, I did. Yeah. Okay, well, let me tell you how balanced I am. I'm arguing a plus one. Though I am fairly balanced, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I'm not a great melee combatant or ranged weapon combatant, but let me run down the numbers for you. I have a strength of 11, dex of 13, con of 10, intelligence of 10, wisdom of 19, charisma of 16, passive perception of 14, proficiency in wisdom, charisma, saving throws, uh, also arcana, insight, medicine, and survival checks. 96 hit points, AC of 17 with a shield. That is why I'm arguing a plus one. Okay, I will see your plus one, and I will raise you a plus two. I have because, a strength. Because I can fish and I'm a dog. Super balanced, bro. I'm actually a little unoptimized here, but I don't think it really affects the overall balance of the character. I have a strength of 12, dex of 18, con of 8. I want to do experiment with a low con. All it really does, you know, it brings down your HP. I got yeah. intelligence of yeah. 17, wisdom of 12, charisma of 13. I have proficiencies in seven different categories with all fives or sevens on those. What's your spellcasting to hit? Ranged attack. Plus five. Nah, you're not getting a plus two. Level 12. No way. Yeah, well, I mean, when you put it that way, yes. That does affect my overall balance, so this would be a one. He's a little unoptimized, but I don't think it'll affect anything. When I originally was going to build this guy, I wasn't going to have spell attacks, yada, yada, yada. You get the idea. One's all around. Here's my smooth operator. This was submitted by the same guy who named Garen's character this week, Joan Gemstone, uh, and it states the following. You're both in a temple with one of the members of a royal family asking you to help prove one of your party members is really their long-lost older brother, though he only just claimed to be royalty yesterday and has been missing for 150 years. So how do you handle this? Okay, so we're in the temple, and the king is saying, your party member, paladin of the party, is my older brother. I want to abdicate the throne to him, but I got members on my council who are doubting that this is him because he's been missing for 150 years. You need to help me. So here's what Beltora can bring to the table on that. Now, first of all, I've got hide in plain sight. So I would go outside the villa. I would go outside the kingdom. I would hide myself and I would wait for these council members to go on their daily walk, you know, where they like pick fruit and they talk about the business of the kingdom. They call it the gossip trail. <laughs> exactly. So they're out on the gossip trail, right? And I'm listening to this. I also have the linguist feet. So I can hear everything they're saying, and I'm writing it all down in ciphers that they'll never understand. So then I pass all those messages along to the king. So even if the king, even if his notes are getting read by somebody else, they don't know what these notes are saying because this is a secret code that I have taught him. So then the next day, when they go back out onto the gossip trail, I look at the leader of the group, and I'm going to use my background feature. As a cryptozoologist, I can take a moment to study a creature that has a challenge rating equal or less than my level plus two. So that's 14 or lower. 
I can observe them and I can determine the type, the vulnerabilities, the senses, the languages, and the legendary actions, if any. I learn who he is, what he's all about while I'm staring at him from hiding in the bushes. So the next day, I bring the paladin out with me. We're hiding. I've got the non-detection on him so no one even knows he's there. And I use plant growth to raise him up as a tree takes him up into the sky. And he, in a booming voice, announces that he is the true heir to the throne. And he has all the information that I've gathered from the king. The king comes out and says, oh my gosh, all the things you he said You grow a true. tree and that's how you're going to convince people? <laughs> yeah, I know it sounds weak at the it end. It is but you have weak. To, but I'm using all of these other things to get Nobody said smooth. that royalty can grow trees at will. That's not something that people expect royalty to be able to do. But a guy who's been gone for 150 years, yeah, he's probably been through some magic shit. Oh, I'm convinced now. All right, thanks. My whole argument is actually all the lead up, all the way I could gather information. That stuff is pretty cool. So what are you arguing? One. You'll get your one. It was Thank it you. was a fair argument. I'm arguing a plus two. I would take that party member aside, and I'd ask him if the claims were true, and why he didn't mention this to the party sooner. I would then cast Empathy, which is a spell out of Elminster's Guide to Divination, and it allows me to enhance my ability to glean clues from a creature's body language, speech habits, and general mannerisms. For the duration, I gain advantage on wisdom or insight checks to determine a creature's true intention. This lasts up to 10 minutes. I would listen to his answer. If his answer was satisfactory after some extensive interrogation, I would then cast No Faction, which is another spell out of Elminster's. No Faction allows me to, after socially interacting for a creature for at least a minute, I can attempt to discern its faction affiliation. The target must make a charisma saving throw. On a failed save, I learn its faction. If the creature isn't affiliated with a faction, you gain one aspect of its alignment. If you can continue to interact socially with the creature and gain one more piece, you gain one piece of information for every minute, or you can interact with a different creature, blah, 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 blah. Another option I would have would be to wait until nightfall, disguise myself at will, and become the king himself. I would then thank the party member for spreading this rumor and offer him a pretty purse of gold coins as a reward for his deceptive ways, and then I would attempt to detect his thoughts on... What happens next? If he doesn't outright say, what are you talking about? I would detect his thoughts to see what happens. Plus two. Your character was totally built for smooth operating. Now, the one thing I will say is the one spell about getting alignment. Now, my background, yes, is D&D Beyond and is a little OP to be able to discern all that information. But I was able to gather a lot more information with my background than you were with that spell. The other stuff is very cool. I will graciously offer you that plus two. And I will take my plus one. But... I'm going to move into how, how you... I would aggressively handle this situation. I would use the Contagion spell to inflict a seizure, which causes the creature to become overcome with shaking. The creature has disadvantage on dex checks, dex saving throws, and attack rolls that use dexterity. I would use this on the, the party member in question. If I were to interrogate them, this whole thing was just a lie that was started by him to gain favor in, in the court. Who knows? That's what I would do. I would cause contagion and uh, get him overwhelmed, overcome with shaking, and then I would just start attacking. I, I'm going to say plus one. Okay. I am going to argue you deserve a minus one because you chose the contagion spell, the one spell that Wizards has in disease, and you and I wrote a whole slew of disease spells. You could have used any of those. What about D&D Beyond? We didn't say nothing about that, friend. Cheater, hey, cheater, one... pumpkin eater, I'll take my plus one. No, you get a zero because you didn't use microbes of malice. No, I'm not going to take a zero because I didn't use microbes of malice. 
Dan, all right, let's be real here, though. You have one spell. That's not a plus one. No, it was one scenario I came up with. No, it was one spell. All you did was ramble about the contagion and beating him up. That's right. That's not a plus one. A zero is generous, and you know it. What would you do, big shot? I would do the hide in plain sight. I would do the linguist thing. But as soon as they they started talking shit about my boy, who's the true king, I would use my fishing rod and I would gaff hook him. Take a different direction with this. You believe that he's the king, that he's the king's brother. Oh, yeah, I always believe my boys. Okay. My, my boys and my girls, they're my party, they're my family. And so I use my gaff hook. I make, a, I make a successful attack against this guy. I immediately get to follow it up with a grapple. This is actually a feature of the angler. And while they're grappled, they take immediate damage every turn. I'm also proficient in unarmed strike. So I drag him into the bushes and I just start beating on his head saying, he's the king, he's the king, he's the king. He's going to give up very quickly. Wow. What are you arguing? That was great. One. Yeah, you can take your one because that was, that was a lot better than my scenario. <laughs> you, you change so quickly once you're no longer arguing for your own points. Wait, were you being sarcastic? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Go right to hell. <laughs> that was not sincere in the least. All right. It was so, so much better than your scenario. Why would anyone want to play your dog boy custom background shit? Can't even be, you can't even be gracious in victory. A I can didn't of win. Tars, you did win six to five. You should keep track. This is really easy math, Dan. <laughs> Canatars by Matthew Gravelin are so much fun. Great, rich abilities that are themed very nicely to the dogs that they're kind of taken from. I also think the angler is really fun. I The only downside to the angler thing is it's a very solitary activity to go fishing. And I can imagine driving the rest of the party nuts if I want to be like, hey, guys, I want to fish for a little while. They'd be like, well, fine, you go do your own thing. We're going to do the rest of the adventure. Yeah, and it wouldn't uh, piss the party off at all if you were like, hey, guys, I'm going to fish this opponent. And they're like, that didn't work the last four times you tried. But the class features are fun they provide a lot of extra damage i took things at three seven and 11th level but i actually had a choice at every single one of those so if you go check if you go download that feature you will find other options for your thing and i do want to mention that there's also a bestiary at the end of this some of the cool monsters that he came up with again with beautiful art the hole breaker shark that tries to ram your boat and the mare eye which is like a merfolk beholder which is really neat to see so great job, Matthew Gravelin and Stephen Wood. Thank you for letting me use your content. I'm very conflicted on whether I'd actually want to play this character, but there's definitely features about both the race and the class that I really enjoyed. It's not surprising to me that you made a character that you don't want to play because I've never wanted to play any of your characters. So why you should play this guy, though? The guy I made, Elminster's Guide to Divination, has about 30 spells, a little bit over 30 spells in it. It's got four archetypes in it. It's got uh, about, you know, 15 magic items in it, all for $5. M.T. Black is also the author of Elminster's Guide to Magic, uh, which is a very thick and meaty supplement. I think it's about 176 pages. That's, I think, only $20. So all of the stuff that M.T. Black puts out there on DM's Guild is worth having. This is just further proof of that. I also enjoy any supplement that will include flaws in a character build. I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. It makes for great roleplay opportunities, and it also makes gives the DM a little bit of tools to kind of mess with the players a little bit. So I would absolutely play this character. A lot of fun support spells and a lot of good battlefield control. Right on. Well, as I mentioned... 
you did win this episode, but you were a real jerk about it, so no congratulations. If you thought these characters were fun builds, uh, be sure to hop on Twitter and get involved in our giveaway. A few copies of Elminster's Guide to Divination. We'd like to thank the authors Matthew Gravelin and M.T. Black for offering those complimentary copies to our listeners. And be sure to check out the supplement that Garen used to build the Fisherman Ranger entitled... The Angler Ranger Path, and that is by Stephen Wood. And that, as I mentioned before, is Pay What You Want. And Matthew Gravelin's piece is called Canatars. So anyways, Garen, what's coming out of the lab? Number one, meth. Number two, Jimmy Jr.'s Horde of Horses and other mounts that are also for sale. Be sure to check DM's Guild for that. That is live. Number three, Wombo's Guide to Combos. That's still out there. Number four, Patreon. Thank you to everyone who's donated. Thank you to everyone who's considering it. Great stuff coming out of the lab, or so we think. <laughs> That's it for this week, Lab Rats. And just remember, it doesn't have to be optimized. It just has to be fun. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of the D&D Character Lab Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at DND Character Lab. Or shoot us an email at dndcharacterlab at gmail.com. Most importantly, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app.